This is Cambridge Judge Business School's online knowledge centre with expert commentary, analysis and insights into the issues of the day. This series takes leadership as its theme and covers various issues around the topic. The academic lead is taken by Dr Jonathan Trevor of Cambridge Judge Business School, whose field is human resources and organisations, and Kate Toyero, executive coach and founder of Exfusion Limited, who puts forward the practitioner view. So far, they've discussed the management reaction to workers feeling that their bosses are not up to their own jobs, the way in which leadership itself has changed almost into a form of fellowship, that connectivity and communication have overhauled efficiency once the driver of workforce performance. Now, Kate and Jonathan turn to visioning the future organisation and enabling transformation. Just how critical is the leadership role? I think leadership, visioning the future, setting the vision, be it the brand, be it behaviours, whatever whatever it might be, is absolutely critical. I think if there are businesses that haven't got that vision, or even subsets of businesses, I know a number of uh, leaders that perhaps are running divisions of organisations, and if they feel they haven't got that vision from, from the top, they will make their own for their particular function, and that works really effectively. I suppose we only need to look at the likes of Richard Branson and, and Sergey Brin and Larry Page, and, and to a degree some of the Olympians that we're listening to at the moment. They're visioning what's going to be going on later this year at, at the Olympics to, to set that tone and set that pace of what they're going to achieve. I, I think it is a huge part, uh, leadership in respect of transformation um, and the visioning of, of the future organisation. And in the sense that the operating environment is only going to become more uncertain. And actually, in that sense, vision, more than planning, becomes more important. Mm. Essentially, what <coughs> leaders and organisations uh, need to do is create a vision around which people can align and exhibit discretionary effort and self-direction and their creativity and input and entrepreneurship to craft that strategy in an emergent way as opposed to a planned hierarchical bureaucratic way of the past when actually the environment was more stable and more certain so vision and leadership in that sense becomes something different from how we've understood in the past because they've always been important it is much more in the future about distributed leadership leaders across the organization subject specialists are lying behind uh, a vision and crafting the strategy and action of the organization in an emergent way one of the issues is going to be that maintenance of values and momentum once you get it going Indeed. I mean, really, there are three key aspects, I think, in terms of transformation specifically. First is crafting that vision in whatever respect, whether it is uh, uh, something around the direction of the organisation overall or indeed around subparts of the organisation, as Kate suggested. The second is actually energising, inspiring people to make a transition or a change, start that transformation journey. And the third critical aspect is actually maintaining momentum. Now, all of those things require, I think, increasingly the management of sentiment, which is to say leaders creating, wherever they are in the organisation, meaning around what transformation really means and engaging and enabling others to make it meaningful for themselves. And that really is the key to momentum in this sense. How difficult is that going to be? I think it, it is quite difficult, but I think the, the leaders that embrace that and truly believe in what that vision is, and you, you just see them on the television or hear them on the radio, you know when people are saying what they... They mean because they believe it rather than because they feel they ought to be saying it. 
I think people then get behind that. But I think the difference is, is, is that if that belief is there and that belief in the values or the alignment with the values or, or, or whatever it is an organisation is striving to do, people will follow that. But I think also as, as a leader, it, it has to be repeated and consistently reinforced. Um, it's not something that can be set in January at the beginning of the year and never referred back to. It has to happen every day of every week. But you are looking at key organisational and leadership competencies, which are very different. They are very different. A leader's ability to to set the vision, whatever that vision is and whatever it's about, be it it technical or about values or about behaviours, I think has to align to all those those Mm. other competencies, which equally are, are crucial to the running of a business. And I think they all have to intermingle together. And that in itself is a challenge. One of the biggest challenges, I think, is is overcoming cynicism. Cynicism in the mass media, cynicism in our organisations, cynicism in terms of academia, not least. Because the things that we're talking about are are well-tested, tried-and-tested concepts. Authenticity, for example, uh, visionary leadership, transformation. These are all terms which can become or start to sound rather platitudinous but actually that's precisely the challenge and the difficulty is these things really matter but they matter only in the context of a specific organization and where it's going relative to its environment and relative to its resources and capabilities so for example if you took a cross-section of a number of different organizations we could say that authentic leadership trust collaboration inspirational motivation these things all matter but they look different in those different organizations and that's really the leadership task is to overcome the cynicism that it's not just words, they can actually mean something, and this is what they mean in a specific context. And ma- maintaining a, the momentum of that meaning um, through precisely that type of leadership that Kate was describing, the authentic leadership of, of actually living by the values that, that we prioritise as making us different from others, truly exhibiting this is what we stand for and this is our integrity relative to that and this is what we will do and what we won't do organisationally. And these are social issues as opposed to economic or Mm. technical issues. They're not technological issues, they are social issues. And, of course, the social aspects of organisation are the hardest. But if you get them right, they're also the most, most enduring source of sustainable competitive advantage. But isn't there a danger that any kind of social change that you try to make is always met, going back to your word, with cynicism? particularly by the stakeholders and employees within a business. There will always be people that are cynical. I was speaking with one of my clients, interestingly, about authentic leadership, about trust and a number of those values that he wants to embed and and, and bring more strongly into the business. And he said, I'm very excited about this in equal measures of dread and delight. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's interesting because he knows that cynicism bit will be the dread and it will be difficult and it will be challenging. However, the delight around making a difference, really embedding those values and, and, and uh, you know, making a huge difference with that business and, and, and what it's doing. You're talking about future form organisations. Describe one. Pluck one out of the air and kind of describe it if you can. It's very tempting to look at examples of, of leading innovators as we perceive them. But the thing I would caution, and not to sound too much of an academic, these are, in many respects, social constructs. So the obvious example is Google. Um, and Google is being a new type of organisation in many respects that embraces different principles of organisation around networks, around delegated authority, around empowerment, um, around creativity, and with some very interesting innovations in how they actually manage people, for example, giving 20% of the time their staff are free to them to manage how they, they feel best or think best in the best interest of the organisation. I mean, this is quite interesting stuff, and it's certainly not orthodox. 
But these are themselves social constructs, and I think actually you, we need to be very careful in our, uh, our analysis of these types of organisations. And, and actually what we see, more than one organisation embodying these principles, is actually a range of these principles existing in multiple existing organisations, but become, becoming progressively more the norm um, and heading in a particular direction. And it is certainly around something which is much more around community-based working in an organisational sense. The challenge will be how do you ensure that individuals within a network that is relatively delayed, uh, relatively meritocratic, how can you ensure that they all come together and value a collective outcome over an individual outcome? That they value collective interest over self-interest when not coerced to do so through bureaucratic policy procedure and process. That's precisely what we're talking about. I think this links back to the leadership issue. Mm. You, You do that by actually ensuring by, I think, managing the meaning of the mission and the vision and the values of the organisation. It's about persuasion and influence more than it is about control and order. And I, th- I think it's also understanding who are the subject mm. matter experts, and we've had means of discussions about this, you know, who, what truly, what are people's expertise? What do they do really effectively? Therefore, collaboratively, what does that mean? What does that t- mean as a team? And what does it mean as a whole organisation? And sometimes I think the sharing of that knowledge once organisations get that right so that they know that perhaps they have someone on the other side of the world that has that piece of expertise that they need in another part at a given moment. In, indeed, and, and this, this is... Very I mean, Kate raises a very interesting example. So, so it's not that there is an organisation that describes what this future state looks like, but rather you can see elements of it emerging all the time. And one such element is precisely this premium placed upon knowledge um, and specialist expertise. And in a sense, what we're seeing is an emergence of a knowledge hierarchy as opposed to a bureaucratic hierarchy. And we see that in many organisations already, particularly knowledge-intensive organisations, but the point is it's become progressively more the norm. So, for example, you could imagine a situation in an organisation where, because of a particular client need or because of a particular customer need within the environment, um, a relatively junior person hierarchically has much more influence because of their knowledge that's relevant and useful than somebody in a bureaucratically senior position. It's all about authority and the source of authority. And the nature of authority is changing in our organisations, moving towards those who have relevant and useful knowledge and away from those who have an assigned position of authority in the bureaucracy. Jonathan Trevor and Kate Toyero, thank you. Next in the series, the awareness of senior executives to the changes in the way people treat information and how the leadership style itself must alter. This programme was produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School as part of its online broadcast series. Music